0: We've been a pioneer on literally everything we've ever done as a foundation. Why wouldn't we be also looking at where our investment capital is? And so the journey for me around impact investing really started around that time and saying we must, it's not an option, we must be looking at where our capital is going if we really believe in the things that we
1: say we believe in. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from CEO venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Please sit back and be prepared to be inspired. Suzanne Beagle, it's amazing to have you here today on the CEO.World podcast. Thank you, Vicki. I'm so glad to be doing this with you. This is just so overdue. Yay. <laughs> uh so let's start a little bit with you. Who are you? What brings you to the CEO.world podcast today? I
0: am a passionate, committed catalyst for connecting people and capital and ideas and projects that improve the lives of women and girls that recognize the power of gender equity and parity and make the world a better place for everybody. Of course, that's only one part of who I am, but it is the driving force behind me for the last 20 years.
1: And you have an amazing history. Maybe we'll just go back over a few things, but impact investing has been like on your radar before it was actually called that. I was actually thinking about this last night. What do we usually say? is like the grandmother of, but I'm like the ancestor of (laughs) impact investing. Really just having been at the beginning of things as a real pioneer I wonder if you could just sort of take yourself back a little bit to creating something in a world that doesn't have words yet. It's a really different kind of thing. You know, can you talk a little bit about what comes up for you when I ask that? Yeah, Vicki, you know, I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. I grew up in New York. One of my
0: first opportunities to do that was that I was asked to create an alternative school when I was in high school, secondary school. In a time where education was pretty traditional and we created the most outrageous, most creative, most disruptive alternative school within a school when I was 15, I think I never looked back from believing that you can create things that people have no words for, no frame of reference for, and a lot of barriers around. And yet you're creating by bringing the threads of things that have come before you. Of course, not all of the ideas that we had at that time were new. And so I then got involved in the sort of dawn of the new media age and high tech in the 80s, worked for IBM and a couple of IBM-funded tech companies. Then at the beginning of e-learning, before that was a thing, when the internet came through, I mean, we were, again, pre-internet. So helping people understand what that was, helping people then understand what the power of what online learning could really be for the world. Now this is now we're into the early nineties, mid nineties. And then when I sold my business, so my partner and I had this business that we grew from seven women to 200 people and with a amazingly gender balanced, everything balanced team, black, brown, old, young, gay, straight, every inch of the power of diversity was brought forward in our business when we sold the business to a multinational i then wound up with capital that i didn't expect to have it just made sense to me that i would be investing in women but it also made sense to me that i would be investing in things that really matched my values overall i was obsessive about climate and i didn't call it climate back then in the environment i was obsessed about social justice and economic justice And I'm a total foodie. I was obsessed with sustainable food. I not only started investing in those things, but I also joined a company that was doing marketing for brands around what was to be then the multi-billion dollar industry around organic, sustainable consumer products. But at the time, again, this was now 2001, nobody, 2002, nobody knew what that was. So this has just been a thing for me to always see things that were right there in front of everybody, but say, how do we make this normal? And for impact investing, we were standing on the shoulders of giants who in the 70s and 80s had really been the pioneers when we sort of really got together, I think, and coined this term. But for me, it really started around 2001. And I was on the board of a foundation, I was vice chair of the board of this foundation. And I said, hey, how can we be the most progressive social and economic justice and racial justice funder in Los Angeles County, which is where we were, but also the whole country. And yet look at where our investment dollars are. People looked at me and said, well, that's not our job. We're too small. What is this thing even really? Who's even doing it? Who are, what are our peers doing? And I said, well, We've been a pioneer on literally everything we've ever done as a foundation. Why wouldn't we be also looking at where our investment capital is? And so the journey for me around impact investing really started around that time and saying we must, it's not an option, we must be looking at where our capital is going if we really believe in the things that we say we believe in.
1: Well, and just to unpack that a little bit for those who don't know, there has been a long history of foundations having very progressive programs that they're funding out to create social change, and then their capital is doing exactly the opposite in the market. That was a thing for a long time. I think it still is for lots of different organizations.
0: It absolutely is. And I benefited from the fact that there were some high profile media pieces that came out that really exposed that in addition to those of us that were talking about it. And I think a lot of people were saying, even if this is a thing, there's nothing to invest in, or we can't possibly do this because it's not our fiduciary duty. Our goal, our role is to maximize profit for our shareholders or for our stakeholders. They didn't really think about stakeholders. And it was true, there weren't that many products out there, but there were enough. Now, when I think about people coming into the field 20 years later, in a way, they're so much luckier because there's so much more you can invest in that does match your values. And yet, we're still on a journey. I mean, it's in the grand scheme of capitalism. We are so early
1: on this journey. What has changed? There's impact investing, and then there's gender lens investing, which maybe we can talk a little bit about. And then what's changed over the last 10 to 15 years? I mean, you you have been at the forefront of all these discussions as people are rethinking and shifting where capital is going to have a higher impact on women and girls, because we know that that's where deep transformation happens in society. Talk a little bit about, so Investor Circle, you were working with them around impact investing and how that kind of morphed to gender lens investing or where did that start to happen in the marketplace for you?
0: So I made my first couple of angel investments in women-led businesses in 2000, 2001. And honestly, even though I've been a successful woman entrepreneur, I really didn't know anything about how to invest in women entrepreneurs or any entrepreneurs. And so I found out about this group, Investor Circle, which was a close sister organization, brother organization to social venture network, which now of course they're combined, social venture circle. And I found my tribe. That was one of my first real tribes that I found. And these were people who had founded Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's and the Body Shop and just a a kind of incredible companies and had capital to invest in the next generation of businesses. But it was pretty significantly men, even though investor circle itself was started by a woman, Susan. It was a very male-oriented group. My personality is that when I see something that isn't there, that part of my personality comes out really strongly. (laughs) And so if I'm in a crowd of tech investors, I'll come out and be talking about impact. If I'm in a crowd of impact people, I'll be talking about commercial. How do we get more commercial? And if I'm in a crowd of men, I will definitely talk about where are the women. And so I started recruiting other women to be angels in this network And then I started making sure we were shining more of a focus on backing women entrepreneurs and women impact businesses. So in those days, that crowd got it, actually. They just said, well, bring in more women. That would be great. And bring in more women entrepreneurs. That would be great. And so we had a pretty good track record around finding and backing women entrepreneurs, even though that wasn't the focus of the group. But then, okay, you've asked me to talk about where has it all gone from here. We... Have to say that it's still very small compared to the amount of $75 trillion of capital in the global economy. The fact that we now have, remember, there was only one public markets fund that launched in 1993, and then the second one didn't launch until around 2003, 2005, something like that. It was a very slow progression. Now, We have over 50, 60 products on the public markets where you can invest with a gender lens. Now we have over 150 products on the venture capital, private equity, private debt side, where you can invest with a gender lens. You have initiatives like CEO and game-changing new fund structures, new types of vehicles to invest in women with so many different types, more types of capital what's really changed is we've diversified the base of who sees themselves as being able to be an investor. We've created vehicles to democratize access to being able to invest in these kinds of things, like the Wisdom Fund from CNote and Calvert Community Investment Notes, which have been out there for a long time. I just got an email from Nell Merlino, who started Count Me In for Women's Economic Independence, which was one of my first investments in the early 2000s to back women entrepreneurs. I put $5,000 into into this note for 3% interest to back women entrepreneurs who I had never met and thought, well, this is a great idea. I wanna do more of this. But now there are vehicles that are raising hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. So on the positive side, there's more product, there's more people, there's more diversity of who can participate. You don't have to be a billionaire. We have a lot more data that says why this is smart and a lot more stories about who's doing this and what it looks like when it's good. That's a positive. And on the negative, we still are too well kept a secret. We still have a huge amount of work to do around shifting power in the traditional finance systems that really need to be shifted. People will still say there's not enough data. People will still say there's not enough product in the places where they live in the kinds of things that they want to invest in, in the kind of structures that they can invest in. Most of the banks and financial advisors and wealth advisors that are responsible for helping people deploy their capital are still, again, this is a gross generalization, still really gatekeepers that are not making it easy for people. I do have a lot of empathy for them because they, they're trying to move big ships. And on the other hand, I'm hugely impatient about why that isn't happening further, faster and smarter.
1: And we need to be impatient because it's completely crazy given the state of the world as these things are going on in parallel. As you're talking about the increased number of funds and vehicles that are available over time, but at the same time, like I wonder if you map this uh, on a chart, the aggregation of wealth into a smaller and smaller number of hands. So the inequality that's happening, that is a trend that is putting pressure on this as well, which is harder, right? Because the gatekeepers have to deploy more and more capital, larger and larger amounts. A lot of the organizations we're talking about, the ventures, the size of these funds don't have the scale in order for those people. Is that part of the dynamic that makes this hard too?
0: Yeah. What's also really complicated is on the one hand, we have the massive intergenerational transfer of wealth into the hands of women that is in process of happening. Women are making their own wealth. Women are marrying into wealth and then winding up with resources to deploy and women are inheriting wealth. And yet, globally, what's happening is, yeah, that massive concentration in fewer and fewer actors with bigger and bigger pools of capital where it's just inefficient for them to be able to do smaller things, which are, by the way, where the edge of innovation is, where the best problem solving is often happening. They are hamstrung by not being able to get in on some of those things. And the people who are doing these incredible innovations who often need smaller amounts of capital are then stuck when people will come back and say, well, come back to me when you are this size and this scale. And the reality is, if I had waited on that for my business that I built, we would never have gone anywhere. And in fact, you know, we really built our business off of cash flow because there wasn't a lender that was going to lend to us before we had a track record. But yeah, the the structural issues that are still in the way are huge and the social cultural issues in people who do have investment capital, not feeling powerful about the capital they do have and not being powerful about that because the gatekeepers perpetuate this view that they don't have power.
1: Yeah. There's just so many levels that you have to hit at once. It's like that believing in your personal efficacy that you can change things because you're there. You have that impact not listening to the same old voice telling you, oh, you know what you're doing. You know, you should listen to me. I'm the person who knows. And you should, yeah. I mean, I've just heard so many of these stories over time. It's, there's a lot to break through.
0: I've been that thorn in the side of my wealth advisor for a long time saying, I want to invest in this. No, you can't. Why can't I? It's not on the platform. It's too small. Come back when they have more assets under management, when they have more of a track record. And i often will say, I'm taking my money out of your big bank and I'm just going to invest. And I will knock on the door every three months and I'll say, so how are we doing with getting that fund on the platform? They'll, or they'll bring me an investment opportunity and I'll say, so you haven't done a gender analysis on it. Don't you know after all these years of supporting me that I'm going to ask you the same 10 questions? So we have to be really impatient and patient at the same time and just persistent. I know we just have to be really persistent and we have to use every inch of our influence, whether we have explicit power or implicit power, whether we have relationships with people who can really make change or we just band together as a bigger group to have more of a voice.
1: That resonates so much with me because I think this, you know, relentless pursuit of our goals individually in these sort of, like, I just sort of see us all on, you know, these separate lanes on a track. And somehow we have to kind of lock arms and come together at this point, because it's just the only way things are going to change. If 25 of us walk in with our names on the piece of paper and say, this has to happen, starts to create more.
0: Fortunately, we have some really good evidence that that's working. Oh, that's great. That's working in shareholder activism. That's working in creating new vehicles. That's working in CEO. I'm so excited about the power of collective impact. And I mean, that goes all the way back to my beginning in philanthropy, because that's what we were funding was grassroots organizing. Now, when people say, what do you do? I say, well, I am a grassroots organizer of rich people some of the time. (laughs) And I'm a grassroots organizer of people in influence in
1: power that you wouldn't think that they would apply that frame of grassroots organizing. That's what I'm doing. Well, you've built this incredible muscle as being over and over with deep practice in the field for 30 years of how do we bring people together? How do you take the evidence? How do you show the data? we all see the challenges and we want things to happen faster. But I I think this is one of the moments right now where we're just like, what has changed in the last five years is huge. There's just been such a transformation. Nobody talked about systems transformation before. They didn't talk really about structural inequities. They just kept asking the question, why is it that we have less money going to women and girls like over and over? Now people get those structural inequities and the challenges. How do we transition from where we are?
0: And I think another really significant shift is we just have in the last couple of years really gotten it that helping more white women, only white women, get funded, whether that's white expat women founders in Africa or whether that is white women founders in Canada or the US, is not okay. That, yes, we need to be backing them. And we need to be backing more women of color, more black and brown and indigenous women who have brilliant businesses, who just have not got access to the networks, some don't have access to the networks and the contacts and the relationships that we do. And we've been part of the problem in perpetuating that, oh, we think we're helping all women, but because we've been really blind about it, we haven't.
1: It's only been one segment. Yeah. The intersectional lens changes everything. I mean, we've we've certainly seen a lot of that, like a lot of the ventures that we have funded that are in community with each other. I'm thinking of this amazing uh, South Asian entrepreneur that we funded last year, her entire community is around her supporting her in a way that doesn't exist in some other communities. And I think the power of that and the way that she can be successful comes a lot from those community connections. And we're really starting to unpack and understand the social impact of all of these as well. And part of what I love about that is that it's not only the ones we've backed, because it it is the ones we've
0: backed, which I'm I'm so excited about, but it's also even the ones we haven't backed because they weren't ready or because we weren't ready for them, who we've been able to help and engage with even though they're not an official CEO venture. And I think that's part of it is who gets funded and then who doesn't get funded, but where there are all kinds of other ways that we can
1: help within the CEO community and and outside of it. So let's go to the personal level for a sec, because I know you are living your values from top to bottom, from the toes to the brain that you have, which is incredible. I think about when I get a a happy text from you and you're like, look, I just saw one of the products in a store. (laughs) And so let's just talk about like your money actually creating the kind of change that you are proud of, that you can see. Usually with investing, there's a big gap between like where your money goes and seeing the impact yourself or feeling it or touching it.
0: I am so in love with the businesses where I can see the impact and feel the impact. I invest in plenty of B2B businesses where it's harder. Of course, I'm, I'm in a business realm, so I will make business contacts and connections for people. But there's something great about picking up my Abigo wrap and wrapping my adventure bread that I made yesterday in it and then seeing it in Whole Foods here and seeing it in as nature intended and going to bring a package of a Beco as a, a gift when we were still allowed to have dinner parties for a dinner party and having somebody say, Oh, I love that brand. I have it because I saw you tweet about it. And I found it in my local shop or better packaging or the linker. When I just think about the incredible impact that's having to see the entrepreneurs and what they're able to achieve, but really for their end customers and what they're able to do. And to have gone to the Bego warehouse with you, factory with you, when I got to come out to Victoria and meet all those employees who are just so passionate, so committed, who are paid more than a minimum wage, who are really doing something that is more than a job for them. I love it. And so, yeah, I built an entire portfolio of businesses that make me happy and i i'm just in the process of closing on an investment in africa that i'm so excited about i've known this entrepreneur for a couple of years i just have been able to be in the market with her really watching what she's doing again not only for the end customers but also the influence she's having around the corporate she works with the supply chain she works with the employees at her own team the distribution channels the ngos she works with it's just a yeah, it's like the best part of my day, quite honestly. And then I, you know, I like I uh, think a lot of other angels, you know, we get we give so much, but we get so much from that experience.
1: Yeah, I think having that relationship between your money, where it goes and the impact that it's having is just such a game changer for so many. And I think when we're separated from that relationship and we don't see the impact of it, it's a lot harder to be more active in the space and to actually believe that you have power with the simplest kind of thing that you do where you tweet something out and it has an impact starts to make you feel, Oh, what else could I do? Like, is there, is there another action I could take? That's been beautiful to witness that sort of unfolding of the problems are so huge. I don't matter. My little action is not going to make a difference to actually getting in there and locking arms together and realizing that all of those little things added up just changes everything. Yeah. Well,
0: and then also being able to bring other people in So whether it's my nieces who I've given money to to invest in these kinds of things to become CEO activators, to invest in things like CNote so that I can have an experience with them so that they can learn. And they're so excited about that. Whether it's my peers, my colleagues, my friends to say, come in, which I'm really excited. We just signed up three new CEO activators in London that I've been talking to for a while. I had great conversation with them last week and they're, they're all really extraordinary women and doing big things in the world. And they're so excited about backing the opportunity to back five women entrepreneurs working on the world's to-do list right here in London. So yeah, it's when you make it personal, I think it gives you the fuel to then go out and fight the
1: harder fights. Stepping back for a moment, what is your passion and your obsession these days? This zoom life is is a little crazy thing, and you're on it all the time. What's just getting you up every morning?
0: Well, I think climate and gender and this intersectional lens around race and ethnicity and and equity, this is what's keeping me up um and driving me forward because we're in this mass disruption around Covid, around the economic crisis, and the economic inequality, the racial and ethnic, Justice issues that are have always been there, that now are finally coming to light. The gender justice issues and the rise of people realizing that gender equity really matters. In my country, Brexit, all the geopolitical and threats to democracy. I mean, it's all there. But I feel like the coming together around climate and gender and social justice is really this is a moment. And like just about everything I've ever worked on. Most people have no idea what that even means to bring those three things together. And they say, what? Well, I understand the climate crisis and I understand the gender issue and I understand Black Lives Matter, but where do these things come together? And then when you can say, let's talk about the Green New Deal. Let's talk about women innovators of color who are doing extraordinary things around green business and science and technology. When you talk about where will the jobs go, Will there be good, green, new jobs for women, and women of color in particular? Then people start to get it, what that looks like. We have a huge amount of work to do to help people understand this. And in this case, we really have no time. I mean, I've always felt like we really have no time, but I really feel like we have no time. I mean, it's so horrible, but on the other hand, I'm really glad that we're having a big wake-up call, global wake-up call about all these issues. And that COVID has brought things to light that were there around the care economy and around the misallocation of resources. It's so strange to talk about silver linings, but if we can say that there is a silver lining of people realizing we need, a, as my friend Jacqueline Nuburgrat says, a moral revolution to go along with the financial revolution and all the other revolutions, it's time.
1: Absolutely. Everything at once. This is the moment. And I think this is really why women are being called forward too, because we do everything at once. We think of everything at once. It's not just like solve this little thing over here and deal with the next. You have everything happening at once, right? Everything. Yeah. You know, Nora Bateson sort of talks about this too. It's all of the relationship between things. It's not the 17 individual SDGs. It's like everything in between the 17 SDGs is where it's all lying. I'm so glad to be on this journey with you doing this together because it's really the only way to stay sane and to invite in the others who are ready to use their leadership to create this transformation is gonna take all of us.
0: It's gonna take all of us. And I think what's great is the pace of acceleration of new people joining is it's really happening. And it's happening because of your leadership, it's happening because of mine and all of our friends and every new person who steps in to the work that we're all doing. And to think about your, one of your quotes that I always think about, everything is a mess, and what a great time to be alive that we get to work on these
1: things. Yeah, we do it lots, together. To do. <laughs> lots to do. Lots to do together, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining today. It's been awesome talking to you. Love your story. And I'm so, so grateful for your leadership over the years, getting us to this point. You've done all the work to like help us figure out what's next. So thank you, Suzanne Beagle.
0: Thank you so much, Vicki Saunders. Always in it with you.
1: Thank you for listening to the SheEO.World podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about SheEO, please visit us at SheEO.World. That's S-H-E-E-O.World.